Leaders' Questions with Stuart Lancaster. Thanks to Cisco Systems at Exertis Ireland, providing a secure, intelligent platform for digital business. To hear more, visit intelligentit.ie. All right, you're very welcome along to Leaders' Questions with Stuart Lancaster, our brand new leadership series with Stuart Lancaster, hence Leaders' Questions with Stuart Lancaster. (laughs) How are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. So this is actually your idea. You want to talk about leadership and um, leadership in different fields, not just sport and specifically not just rugby, of course, but what is it that draws you to the topic of leadership? Why are you interested in it? Um, Well, I think it probably came from uh, a podcast I did um, with a guy called Michael Gervais, uh, who's an American, and he has a leadership podcast where he interviews various people from uh, business and sport um, and high performance, and asked them their leadership story. And I don't know how it ended up getting hold of me, but he did. I think it came through um, Dan Quinn, the Atlanta Falcons coach. Um, anyway, so they asked me to do um, uh, an interview uh, with him, which basically talked about um, my um, development as a coach, my development as a leader, the things I'd learned, and everything else. So b- before we actually did the interview, obviously I did my background on the podcast itself, and there must have been, I don't know, 30, 40 or 50 different interviews that were on way before me. Uh, and they were fascinating. And I thought, you know, what a great uh, development tool for people who are in leadership positions to be able to listen to these leadership stories and these philosophies that have evolved um, through time. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been interested in leadership, always been interested in what makes the best coaches the best coaches or the best leaders the best leaders. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I did the interview. And uh, it went out in uh, America, and um, you know I quite enjoyed doing it. And certainly the feedback was, you know, it was interesting for people to listen, even if they don't know much about rugby. Um, so hence I mentioned it to you guys, and here we are. Okay, you said you were always interested in leadership. Um, I suspect as a twelve or thirteen year old, you're not really like you're not explicitly interested in it, but you're drawn to it. So at that point, you're beginning to build up a sense of, yeah, I'd, I'd like to captain the team or I'd like to understand why the coach is making that decision and why they're picking that player in that place. When do you begin to realise that this is something that is more meaningful than just being a bit loud at training? Yeah, no, I think the, the turning point for me was um, around about 31, 32. I mean, so it's quite a, it's quite a way down the line from being a 12, 13-year-old. Um, I'd gravitated to leadership positions through school um, and then I went to university and, you know, you almost start at the bottom again. You go to university. You know, you're very small fish in a big pond and... Um, you're trying to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you... A, you, a PE teacher? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, you get taught at teacher training college the fundamentals of teaching and coaching. So during my mid-twenties, again, you know, you're, you're, you're very much the new kid on the block in the in the school. You're, you're just enjoying coaching and teaching. Um, and then you get a bit more responsibility, you gravitate to maybe a head of year job or um, uh, uh, assistant uh, head of department. Um, so, and, and at the same time, um, you, I was going from a young player to a more experienced player to a senior player within the club I was playing at rugby. Again, gravitating to leadership positions, but never really thinking too much about it, just acting on instinct. Um, so I went on a course when I was 32, uh, I'd left teaching and by this time I was running the academy at Leeds and uh, it was a level five coaching course and I managed to work my way onto it. Um, um, probably not by, um, I wasn't in the initial cohort of people that were given the opportunity, um, but I applied and managed to persuade them that, you know, given, it, given me an opportunity, I wouldn't let them down. 
Uh, and the course actually was all the other rugby courses I'd done were to do with um, rugby and coaching and technical and tactical. Whereas this course was um, done at a place called Ashridge um, in England, and uh, it was a lot more about leadership and management. And that really began to open my eyes to the theory of leadership and the best practice of leadership, um, which then you know opened up a whole avenue of doors in terms of books to read and things to think about, uh, people to meet. Um, and so during my, you know, 30s to 40s, pushed that door open and went absolutely, you know, as far as far through as I could. So um, and then obviously during that time, I became a um, head coach um, at Leeds um, in the championship, then into the, into the premiership uh, and then joined the RFU, which became a very much more a leadership and managerial role than a coaching role. Yeah, um, there was a bit of coaching with the Saxons, but. So again, you know, more opportunities to develop as a leader. So um, yeah, the that it was that course actually that gave me the theory behind the practice. And I think, you know, I I look at the the young lads at Leinster and we talk about you know leadership and development. You know, we can't expect too much from them, but I do try and help shape them and give them more tools than I had in the mid twenties than to, to help them develop earlier as leaders. That's yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lot of interesting bits in this, right? So that whole point about um, developing leadership—you can't have everybody in the group be a leader, but everybody under- needs to understand the concept of leadership and either decide that they're going to rally behind the leadership at that point or try and influence the leadership. It's it, in a in a group dynamic. It's very different from an individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. In a team dynamic, you get um, you know followers and leaders. Um, and uh, I see it as my responsibility as a coach to try and develop leadership in young people um, because obviously a game of rugby requires them to make the decisions on the field. Um, and people often say, you know, is it um, a leader's born or made? You know, which is the classic question. And I actually think it's a bit of both. So there's some people who will never gravitate to leadership positions. You know, they're more introverted, they're more happy to be part of the team, they're happy to be a follower. Um, but I do think you can develop leadership. Um, and I often say to the, pe- the players, you know, to be a leader, you have to have a point of view. A point of view. So that's the start point. Understand yourself, have a point of view, um, and um, understand that leadership is actually about influence. You're trying to influence. So I'm trying to influence them to be uh, a better team and to be better leaders. And the leaders of the team are trying to draw the rest of the group along to to deliver. You know, so someone like East Tennessee would be um, a really, really effective leader in that regard. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to you about specific examples in, in a couple of minutes' time. To, just to spool it back a little bit, it's a light bulb moment really in your life when somebody sits you down in a classroom in that level five course and says, there's a whole theory behind the stuff that you have instinctively been doing and you can get better at it if you read these books, look at these examples, and then cross-reference your own experience against those. Correct. And so it's interesting that you were kind of ready for that at that point as well, that there's a, a point in, in many people's lives. I guess if, if someone has looked for this podcast and they've sought it out, it means that they're ready to listen to um, to that. So when that light bulb moment happens in your life, is it like a, a proper, okay, I'm, I'm on the right course here? Because, you know, you, you've trained to be a teacher and this is no longer the direction that your life is going. Uh, yeah, I think um, the best way I can describe it is um, if you divided my job at the time up into coaching, leadership and management. Um, It was predominantly coaching with a bit of management, i.e. organising day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month stuff um, and a little bit of leadership. And I think the older you get generally, you get given more responsibility and you get more leadership responsibility. So as a consequence, the 
the ratios change. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, my 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 mind began to change around mid thirties, which I think is probably typical of most people in any organisation. Um, you know, if you take teaching as an example, you know, you start up as a teacher, and ultimately, you know, the very best leaders within the school become the dip, deputy head teachers and become the head teachers, and they stop doing the teaching bit. Um, so yeah, so I, I uh, um, that was very much my evolution, and I, you know, I, I did more leadership, um, decision making, uh, and influence, and trying to create a vision for future for the academy lads at the time. Obviously, then stepping into the head coaching job as um, uh, as head coach at Leeds. So, how did you get better as a leader? Um, probably the biggest step was to um, understand my own personality better. So that's the best bit of advice I was ever given: is to lead others, you've got to understand yourself first. So um, there were various psychometric profiles that you would do on this course, and I remember <coughs> getting one done and. Uh, um, showing it to wife, and she was going, "That is exactly you. That's exactly <laughs> it." So that, so then you begin to understand. Were you why. happy with that, or were you uh, like, "No, well, no, no, no"? It was no. a bit of an argument. I was going, "I'm not like that," but uh, she, no, she, <laughs> she, uh, it was pretty spot on, really. And actually, I've still got it. And uh, I looked at it the other day, and I thought, mm, "I'm not pretty too different, really." Yeah. Um, so I think understanding yourself, what your strengths and weaknesses are, what your sort of leadership style is, and probably the second point was someone explaining to me that there is no right or wrong way of leading teams you know so what works for one person is different from another uh, and the probably most effective feedback I got was a um, questionnaire that the people I was leading um, had to um, analyze my leadership style and I had to do my own yeah. so basically it was an assessment of six leadership styles and I, I uh, um, ranked myself and where I thought on each of these styles were and then my captain uh, three or four of the players, the physio, the conditioner, the, the management team, the assistant coaches, they did it. And um, you know, so things like um, pace setting was a style of leadership, being democratic was a style of leadership, being affiliative, so creating close emotional bonds with your players, um, coaching was a style of leadership. And um, the person that gave me the feedback on that, that analysis um, said, you know, what you've got to understand is that the great leaders are not necessarily strong in one area. They pick the right tool out of the box at the right time. That's what the great leaders do. And it, it, it absolutely, again, light bulb moment, you're thinking, actually, yeah, I get it. So sometimes you're pace setting. Sometimes you're the person who's first in the office who's driving standards because you're, you're in early and you're making people work and everything else. But equally, that if, you, if you're only pace setting, you can burn your, the people who follow you out. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, my God, you know, can't keep up. When was that? What stage of, that of your career? So that was, that was again, the same, the same sort of... Um, two or three year period. So first step, um, psychometric profile, understand my own personality. Um, secondly, understand um, my own leadership style. Can you share some of that with us now? Like what, what were the traits and what, what, are, what was your leadership style at that point? Um, so the, the, um, the tool I use basically split your personality into four colors, let's call them, but styles. Um, so one would be, so the red would be um, directive, and blue would be detail-orientated, um, yellow would be more extrovert, and um, you would create um, emotional connections, and green would be team player. And the way the, um, the, the profile worked was it gave you the split of how you fitted into these four categories. 
So, you know, a very directive leader would be predominantly red, and they might be detail-orientated, so they might have a bit of blue. Um, maybe not not that extrovert, so they have a little yellow and you know team player whatever. So um, so that so I you know everyone fits within this model. There's no right or wrong. Um, and I found I was probably um, slightly more introverted than extroverted. So you know it took me um, quite a lot of energy to to stand in front of the group all the time and, and present and everything else. Um, I'd be, I'd have some red in me, so I could, you know, put the hammer down yeah. when needed. Um, I had some blue because I was reasonably detail orientated. Um, quite a lot of green, good team player, not so much yellow. So um, what helped me understand is that, so if I haven't got much yellow, so therefore um, I'm not that much of an extrovert, then get someone in the management team who who will fit that, so the boys feel like it's good crack and yeah. you know, it's an enjoyable place to be. And, and also, so, so, so it's actually not just me understanding my personality, but making sure the whole leadership group, um, there was balance in there. You know, if everyone's red and directive all the time, it's a miserable place to work because sure. everyone's like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, it's just too tough a place where people are um, yeah, um, aggressive in that leadership style. The other thing is that it gives you very clear work-ons that exactly. this yellow needs to be a bit bigger. Yeah, exactly. I can go and get some coaching on that. Yeah. I can read about that. I can learn about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think again the a good example would be on that that six leadership style. So the captain actually gave me the most uh, really effective feedback. He said, um, "Sometimes we want to see more ranges of emotion from you. You know, so show us when you're mad. Show us when you're annoyed with us, but also show us when you're." When you're happy as well, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, because my my sort of natural guarded introversion would say would say just keep it relatively level. But actually, yeah. they want to see more ranges of emotion. Um, equally, that's you know can be a biggest weakness if 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 you're with a volatile leader who who's up and down all the time. You don't know where you stand. Yeah. And, it, and it's, so so there's, a, there's there's that, and also throughout the whole period. You know, I'm looking at other coaches and working with other coaches and working with the leaders and reading probably as much about the great leaders and, you know, so I'd read autobiographies of leaders, I'd read um, autobiographies of players who've been coached by leaders um, and not necessarily just rugby, you know. Um, probably the, the go-to book for me on leadership was um, the Bill Walsh book on the San Francisco 49ers, The Score Take Care of Yourself, because... He not only talks about building a team, he talks about his leadership philosophy in building that team. Yeah. Um, it's funny, uh, somebody just gave me that book recently and said, and they run a major accountancy firm here in Ireland, and I'm like, look, I, I was able to read this book and take a lot for, for my day job. Um, and so I've just started reading it, but like, you do get the sense that Bill Walsh was one of those people who had that giant persona and, and giant character and was completely obsessive about it too. There has to be some balance in life to, to have joy outside of this. Um, maybe we'll come back to that in, in future episodes. But um, so just on that, yeah. So the so um, there's a chapter in the book called um, um, Zero Points for Winning and Minus Points for Losing. So basically, he he reflected at the end of his career that he was too obsessed and held on too tight with winning. So all, all that winning gave him was temporary relief from the pain of losing. And, you know, he, he probably retired from coaching early because of that holding on too tight. 
Yeah, and and it's died and died very quickly afterwards. Like, didn't kind of enjoy the mode exactly. Yeah, when you consider he's like one of the greatest sports coaches in the history of the world. Yeah, it's um, there's a bit of tragedy involved in, in that, but it, yeah. it, it's interesting how many people cite that book and, and they're really into it. Um, the other thing that strikes me is about showing emotion. You've got a different job from most people in that if you're going crazy on the touchline, the camera's going to pick it up. And that becomes a lightning rod for, it turns out, an entire nation. So mm-hmm. that's a pressure that, I mean, at, that's, at this stage, you didn't know you were going to end up being the uh, head coach of an international team. But obviously, you were kind of thinking, you know, I'm in this tree somewhere along the way. Mm. That's where we get to. So, like, was that always part of it? The, like, I, your public persona is different? That you have to project something different. Um, I think I think it's just who you are. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't look at coaches who are more, um, you know, um, they're, they're they're up and down in the game. You know, I don't look at them in any different way than you're just who you are. So you know, I, I, the perception that people would get, create because of the way the media would create it was different to what you know, it was more, what was more important to me was what the players felt. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I look at someone like. Um, Gregor Townsend now is the head coach of Scotland, or Joe, you know, relatively calm in the game, and you know, um, but I look at other coaches like Michael, Michael Checker, yeah. you know, and he's he's in the entire opposite. Um, so players don't players will more um, or the people you lead will more feed off what's been said behind closed doors in the meetings. That's the bit you need to get right, I think. Um, uh, and you know, you you only get one chance really to. To deliver an accurate message in a way that motivates, but yet drives performance at the same time. Um, when you did the psychometric testing and the um, six people did the psychometric testing, were the results the same? Similar, similar. Um, I didn't think uh, uh, I was that pace, pace setting. I rated myself, you know, on the sort of I think it was the fiftieth percentile or whatever. You know, I'm pretty average. I thought, and they said, no, 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 you're up at. 75 actually it's pretty tough you know so I was like mm, you know that's good feedback I didn't realise quite uh, um, you know but things like coaching so one of the styles was coaching actually the um, leadership style of helping others get better you know I rated myself at sort of 60 I think and then they gave it 80 which was reassuring to think yeah. that they felt I was good you know I was there to help them get better um, so so yeah, but 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 also within you, know, you, you you could see that where you sat on the bar charts, but also you had some opportunities for comments, anonymous comments that they gave. Um, so it takes some, you know, courage to to get that three hundred and sixty degree feedback because it not, might not always be positive, but it was it was great for me. Um, and again, you know, we're talking about a time when I was my first head coaching job at thirty five years old, um, and since then, obviously, you know, lots of things have happened. Um, and I've had lots of mentors who've helped me, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of study and learning into it. Well, let's talk a little bit about that again, because the, the, I know the people who are coming to this are, are interested. And uh, two things strike me: that um, talking about this stuff actually requires great humility, because you've got to explain to everybody these are the these are the deficiencies uh, or areas that I have to work on. Mm. Um, I know that a lot of times you pick up those books and it's like, these are my life lessons, you must obey them and you will become a great human being. It can seem quite bombastic, but um, I guess the point of this is that it requires great humility to diagnose your own areas of work on and then also the courage to go and chase that and to actually become a better leader. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that's, that's exactly what the great leaders do. Um, they never stop learning and 
probably most people would mature uh, as a leader into their mid 40s and 50s I would say you know I think it's very very rare <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, I think it's true I think it's very very rare to to have a, a leader of that capacity um, in your mid 30s you're still learning life's lessons and you're still going through the journey yourself so um, yeah no I think um, yeah you've got to be continually looking to improve and, and get better um, and obviously you know you need you need the technical side of either the business you know to, to be proficient as a leader you've got to have credibility um, because people won't um, believe the message if they don't believe the messenger so you've got to, so you've got to, you've got to have credibility in your chosen field so take rugby as an example you've got to have technical and tactical competence because otherwise you can be a great leader but if you're actually not coaching well or you don't understand the game that well then you'll soon lose credibility so so I think it comes down to Three or four different tenants, really. One, you need technical excellence in terms of you need, you know, if you're working in business, you need knowledge of whatever the business is and you need to be able to hold your own against the best. Um, you need to be honest, I think, with people. I think that's a, that's a key leadership quality. I think one of the key things that people forget about leadership is you need to be inspiring. So I think leadership is in, in part inspiration. And um, you need to be forward-thinking and planning. So you need to have... That's the difference between leadership and management. Management would be, you know, we plan the day-to-day -day stuff, but the leader is the person who paints a vision for the future and describes to the people who are following them, this is where we're going and this is why you should follow me and the organisation because this is, you know. So, so that, again, learning that along the way definitely helped me. The other thing that happens in most organizations is that you have a, a, a core group of people who are fully bought in. You have the people who are kind of a bit wavering, and then you have the outsiders who are like, mm, we don't really want to be here. Yeah. Um, in certain organizations, in sport, you can actually just cut people in a way that um, a lot of businesses just can't do it because that's how employment law works and we're all really grateful for that ultimately as a society it makes us a better society and more caring about those people um, it can be difficult if you're in business and there are refuseniks in the building um, what's, what's the strategy for dealing with that and trying to get the group to become more self-policing and more inspiring of itself I think there's two, there's two to answer that question one is remember the first part I made was leadership's about influence so you know Go back to my teaching world or teaching analogy. Um, in a staff room, that's exactly what you've got. You've got a group of committed teachers who, who 100%, you know, uh, buying into, you know, what we're doing. There's a group who've been there a few years. You know, maybe a group who've been there, maybe not, maybe a bit longer or maybe not. But actually, you know, it's it's a job rather than a passion. Um, and I think what the leader's responsibility is to is to obviously inspire that motivated group to take the group in the middle to become part of that motivated group so you're looking to influence their mindset and shape them and then pull the others alongside and I think one of the things that people often f forget is um, they don't talk about the reason why we're all going to work hard together so there's the classic three circles where it's um, what, how and why and people start from the outside and work in so what we're going to do so we're going to have a, I don't know, an insect day a, a teacher training day We'll talk about what we're going to do, we're going to do this, this and this, and over the next few months we're going to do this, this and this, and how we're going to do it, we're going to do these paperwork and we'll have these whatever. And I used to sit there and think, oh, you know, please, please, can we talk about the reason why we're all here as teachers, why we're going to make Kettlethorpe High School the best school and what, what our purpose is. And the great leaders start from the inside and work out. 
So they talk about the reason why first, and then they, they work out. So then you provide that inspiration and motivation, and then maybe the group are wavering and not so committed to the cause, start thinking, actually, yeah, I'll buy into this, because that's the reason I did my teacher training. It's the reason I went to university, is because I wanted to inspire kids. And sometimes you need to remind them, you get that sense of purpose. Then you start talking about the how and the what. And, you know, it's on YouTube, if you Google it, that, that exact why, how, what, Sam Sinek. And, uh, and the, so the reason why, putting that at the forefront, um, that's, that's what the essence of leadership is. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you speak about it like that. Do you feel like we don't talk about these things enough in everyday life, that actually there's a... The whole concept of leadership is something that is something that you kind of have to go and seek out as opposed to like just talking about it and teaching our kids that it's important that you get to pick. You know, it, it's absolutely dependent on if you want to be somebody who wants to go and lead, this is the type of thing that you need to do as opposed to waiting until somebody wangles their way onto a course at Correct. 30. 100%. 100%. And that's, that's the purpose of one, this podcast. Um, two, why I would I would talk about it um, and uh, yeah I mean I was lucky I just happened to be in the right place at the right time that I got the opportunity to to develop um, but I 100% think it's um, a topic that's often shrouded, shrouded in sort of secrecy or, or confusion as to what actually it is I think it's sometimes too complicated yeah. it's described in a too complicated fashion and, I, and you know if I could wave a magic wand you know what would it be I would 100% put on the curriculum of kids um, at school, you know, understanding what the what leadership is, understanding what good communication looks like, understanding what emotional intelligence looks like, understanding what self-awareness looks like, um, understanding what awareness of how awareness of, the, of others is important because we should have A-levels in it um, because they're the bits that actually make you successful. So, you know, when you get your uh, qualifications and you've got maybe ABB or whatever you get, um, I mean, my, my daughter's going through this at the moment. You know, she's final year at school. She's aiming to get um, certain grades to get to university. I just wish there was something on the uh, curriculum whereby she could be educated about the basics of leadership, the basics of communication, the basics of self-awareness, etc., etc. Okay, but she's got you for her dad, so I, like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, but daughters never listen to dads, do they? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the reality. So, you know, I could do with someone else doing that because you know, she, uh, you know, it's a challenge being a leader uh, yeah. of your own kids. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, any advice for parents about that, though? That like, it's t- it is tough. It is tough because obviously, you know, and this is part again, I think, of the challenge of um, the generation of kids who are coming through now. You know, they, they um, digest information differently. Um, their access to information is, is different. Um, their mindset about life is different, you know. Um, so they look at TV and perceive that's reality. Uh, and part of leadership is not just the good times. It's building the resilience and bouncing back from failure and da-da-da-da-da. So, so um, yeah, I think it's tough for your own kids. Um, but, you know, the point I'm making is that... Um, uh, the people who are successful in life, I mean, there's a great quote about um, intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence, and actually the people that succeed in life not necessarily have got the greatest grades, they're actually the best with people. They're the ones who, who gravitate to be the most successful, so EQ is more important than IQ. 
Yeah, and it, it, it is something we're beginning to speak about in schools. It's something that we're beginning to talk about, but we definitely have a quite a significant journey to go on before it becomes common currency and people start asking questions about, well, what are you actually doing to help my kids develop this so that they can develop resilience? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how this system works in Ireland, so I, I can only comment on the, on the English system, but certainly, um, yeah, I think there are now, take my daughter's school as an example, there are speakers who are coming in that... You know, are hopefully going to inspire the, um, you know, the pupils to, to, to understand the importance of it. Yeah, it's it, one-off inspiration is great, but if you happen to be sick that day, or if you happen to be not, you know, fully tuned in, it should definitely be something more sustained. Let's talk about um, resilience and dealing with setbacks and, and managing that kind of stuff. Um, where do you seek inspiration for that? How do you how did you deal with that? Um, Probably internally rather than there was no magic wand that was waved. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, probably more, that was probably more the way in which you've been brought up, you know, the sort of values that um, your parents put into you and what you've seen other people go through and come out the other side, you know. So um, I think it's something that's not often talked about and often. It's not often discussed. So often when you go to leadership talks, it's always the person who's been successful, and this is why they're successful. You don't often go to talks where people have failed, and this is the reason why they failed, and this is why they've, how they've managed to recover from the failure. And I think one of the things that gave me the resilience to come back into coaching after the back of the national job um, was going to the Southern Hemisphere and speaking to lots of other coaches who'd been through a similar sort of situation as I had. Uh, and you know, you begin to think actually, it's not just me that's been through it. So, so, and, just, and, 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 sorry, just, just, and just a little bit on, you know, your dad's, my parents' work ethic. My dad was a farm, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, you, you work hard. You worked hard. You studied leadership. You studied coaching. You, you know, you're committed to day in, day out, week in, week out, evenings, everything else, during the course of your, you know, in my my example, to become the national coach. You know, so that does create some resilience in you to prove that you to to, to stick at it because you've, you work so hard. A couple of things. Um, the it seems to me like it's a particularly Celtic slash Anglo-Saxon thing to see failure as the end of a career, as opposed to the rest of the world, where in America, for example, um, many. Uh, GMs of NFL teams will actually prefer the coach who's been through their failure first so they'll, they'll, they would like a second time coach because they feel like okay well he's, he's made his mistakes mm-hmm. um, like Bill Belichick famously didn't have success at the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. now there's a bunch of reasons for that but he was considered a bit of a failure after that you know couldn't make that thing work and is now the greatest coach in American football history um, but Steve Hansen in rugby uh, Graham Henry in rugby have mm. fairly spectacular failures mm. on their CV and then go on and win World Cups mm. um, but in England in Ireland in Scotland and Wales it's like well that's a busted flush now yeah, yeah. No, no I think you're right um, and it's difficult to recover from um, and uh, um, but yeah I mean the, the, the American football analogy that you've given is absolutely spot on and one of the things that interested me when I went to um, Atlanta Falcons was the relative age of the general managers as well. You know, they were mid-40s at best, you know, so they were relatively young themselves. But they're more inclined to go with um, younger coaches and, and stick with them, or if they don't make it, as you say, 
get a chance to learn and, and come back again. I mean, I think the LA Rams coach is 31. Yeah. 31, 32. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's great credit to them. And, you know, certainly when I did that podcast um, on, on, in the American, um, Michael Gervais' one, um, yeah, he was, he was interested to know a lot about what you learned as you, from, about yourself as a leader, what you're doing differently, and et cetera, et cetera. When did you do that? Uh, so I actually did it in um, June last year, um, so at the end of Leinster's season. And, um, uh, but it only came out in November, December, so it just, just came out just before Christmas. So at that point, you'd, only, you'd been at Leinster effectively one year, one yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, I don't think you knew too much about my story. He just is he's a very good... Um, guy, it's peeling back the layers. I think that's the terminology, isn't it, for media? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What you guys do really well, and 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 so you, you peel back the layers, and you know, he, he gets to the, you know, how it felt. You know, what I mean, what you learned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, for me, um, you know, I, I found myself trying to explain a little bit of the context as well, which is slightly, you know, we normally have to do in an interview because, you know, a lot of the American audience wouldn't understand what rugby was or the World Cup. Mm. Um, do you have a handbook now in your own head for dealing with failure? Um, not a handbook, a strategy possibly, but uh, you've got to get from what's the problem to what's the solution as quickly as possible. So for do me, you, do you need to allow yourself a period of mourning though as well? Yeah, you do. But but equally, but equally, as the coach, you've got to get yourself out of that position as quickly as possible um, because the Arsene Wenger quote, I think. Uh, is the face of the coach mirrors the health of the team. So if you haven't found the solution to what went wrong and why and, and provide a, a reason to the players, then ultimately you're not doing your job as a, as a coach or as a leader. So the best way I can describe it is you're going along and then something happens, you know, you lose a game or whatever, and you're in this pit of despair. You've got to get yourself out of that from what's a problem to what's a solution as quickly as possible. Now, it might mean you do have to have a... It's right that you should... Um, be upset by the defeat or what's not going well because because you care you care about the team and you care about the organisation, um, but you've got to get yourself out of that place and start finding right okay what what could we've done better and let's take the learning from it. So I would never ever, as a coach, gloss over something that didn't go well. Yeah. I'd never say this and that's too painful to talk about. Uh, we would always address it and we'd take the learning from it and hopefully by me getting myself out of that. That, that, that hole and get myself back to okay understand what went wrong and understand how we're going to get better then it's up to me then to explain it to the players and then ultimately try and influence the players mindset so they can and we have a we have a phrase at uh, um, at Leinster sumo um, shut up move on so we get to a point where let's take the line right sumo let's move on we can't keep dragging this around now because it'll affect us next week and the week after so um, that's been quite effective as well. Yeah. How long is that window? Is it a, is, for is me as a coach or for the players? Well, like, do they differ? Uh, yeah, they do differ. I mean, I think, I think for me as the coach, you know, let's, if, if we're on a weekly, uh, a weekly basis of games, you know, by, I don't know, let's say something doesn't go so well on the Friday night, um, by mid-afternoon Saturday, by Saturday evening, I'm already on to, right, what was the problem, what's the solution? Yeah. And uh, the players obviously are still in that, place, you know, come Sunday, then come Monday, that's now my job to go through this review and, and show them um, what went wrong, why it went wrong and how we'll be better from this experience. Um, and so then it's by Monday, 
done, we're moving on. The, the challenge after the, the World Cup was there was no next day. Yeah. You know, because the World Cup finished, I finished, and then you're just there. You're just there, you know, with it, with it uh, in, in, um, um, going over your mind about what I could have done and et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's that process like? Because um, as a coach, in a game week, you watch the game tape and you go, well, okay, at the breakdown, we were taking too long to get the ball away or somebody didn't do their job and we obviously hadn't worked on that enough in training. Well, we actually had, he just didn't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all pretty clear, but after something like the World Cup, it's, um, you know, if you were staying on, you'd have the full architecture of the RFU for the review. Yeah. Now, it's just your own internal review and your mates, your, your, yeah. the, the team that you're still with. Yeah, I mean, it depends on, uh, I guess, the leadership style and the, lead, the leader, how, how they go about doing it. So what I, um, what I did, I took myself away um, on my own and I um, wrote down the order of events and the, the, my reflections on that. Um, so I've now got this um, document, let's call it, review, um, my own personal feelings about what happened. Um, that's actually never been shared. Um, Although what I've actually found quite, um, and therapeutics are the wrong word, but what, what's um, helped a little bit is when I have talked about the World Cup, as painful as it is to talk about, I find it quite um, useful to share what I've learned with other organisations to help them get better so you feel like something good's come, up, come yeah. out of it. Um, and I think you know, what motivates me is trying to get other, to improve other leaders. And you know, to to learn from actually this is what I could have done better and you know hopefully you won't make this mistake so you know so that's happened both so since the World Cup it's happened both with other sports and with people in business as well because the parallels are very similar. Are people reluctant at, at first to come and say, hey, listen, about that thing that happened, right? Could you share with us some of the details about why? Or uh, no, they're not reluctant. No, 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 no. I think I think that yeah, probably tentative, but but. Um, and they wouldn't want to push it too hard because, you know, it's a reasonably painful experience. But um, I'd probably open the door for them to say, listen, I'm happy to talk about it. But as long as it's um, not confidential, but, you know, there's a respect for confidentiality. Uh, Chatham House rules. Yeah, yeah. So that's so we can open and honest. Um, I would never call people out or anything else. I'm more, I'd more broadly look at it from a leadership perspective about, OK, so, so I, I took the job in 2011. And there was no CEO and there was no chairman. Um, uh, the RFU, you know, we'd knocked out the World Cup, da da da. So this is how I tried to build the team from a leadership perspective. This is what happened in the World Cup, and this is actually what I learned from the World Cup from a leadership perspective. And I think, um, you know, like I say, sharing that learning with other coaches or or people in business. Um, I'm not doing it often because um, it's too painful to do, to be honest, that often. Uh, but um, uh, you know. Coming to Leinster, and you know, it was one of the first things I did. And at some point, you don't want it to define you either. So, you, you kind of, there's a period of where you're going to talk about it, I suspect, and then it'll just be, okay, well, that's out there now. Everybody, they can check on that if they want to, but this is the other stuff. This is the body of work that I've put together since. Yeah, yeah, but again, you know, just speaking purely from a leadership perspective, you know, I, my next step then was to become a better leader by doing a better job at Leinster, you know, and, and leading, leading better. And, uh, the role's slightly different. I think we've we've discussed before. You know, Leo's the um, the head coach, and he will do a lot of the leadership and the managerial stuff. I do a lot of the coaching, but Leo allows me to do some of the leadership stuff as well, painting a vision for the future. Um, I'll do a lot of one-to-one and try to grow the um, players as leaders. 
from the senior players and all the way down to you know the younger the younger players who were just beginning to come through so that you know they're in the position where I was at 32 by 25 that's that's the goal for me and ultimately then you know the lads who are now 28 29 30 31 32 going on to leave rugby into whatever I get a real motivation by trying to help them become better leaders so they can be successful in life you know that's a big driver for me and I enjoy you know sitting down with them and um, talking about their own personality their own leadership styles how can they be better leaders and get them to understand what leadership is so that they can make that step into coaching or business or whatever they, they choose to do the other thing that strikes me about leadership is that um we all, we all have massive setbacks in our lives and it's making the right decisions afterwards and not making those decisions from um, a position of anger or like allowing the pain to cloud what comes next because so many of us rush into, something bad happens and we rush into the next decision and a year later you go, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that, maybe I should have taken a bit of time over mm. that. Um, the clear thinking under pressure, yeah. how do you develop that skill? Um... Yeah, it, it, that, that is one of the really difficult things, I think. Um, let's take it within the context of playing leadership within a game of rugby, as an example. Um, and uh, the, the best players are, are able to stay in the moment and to think clearly, you know. Um, and um, there's a company I work with um, at the RFU back in 2007, called Gazing, and they would talk about redhead and bluehead. Um, so redhead being, you're distracted, you are thinking about the past, what's gone wrong, you think about the future, the consequences of, is this, rather than staying in the moment. And um, blue blue would be, you know, okay, that's, that's not gone so well, you know, we've stuffed that line up, they've just got to try, um, and, you know, but we're 100% in the moment. And I think... That's that's it, that works for both players and it works for leaders as well. Um, so you are um, in the moment and you're not thinking about what's gone, not distracted by what's gone wrong in the past and the consequences of what the future is going to look like because of what's gone on in the past. So it's making sure you can um, be clear in your mind and not be wrapped up in the emotion because as soon as pressure comes on, pressure can create that redhead. You know, and that, that red zone, let's call it. Um, and uh, um, the great leaders stay calm under pressure. There's clarity in the mind, clarity of thought process. And uh, um, that's the same for players. But it's unbelievably difficult for players because in rugby, you've got the physical contact, you've got the, um, the fatigue of the, of the, aer- you know, the aerobic stuff, the, the fatigue of the game in the 68th minute, and the 70th minute, and the 75th minute. And then you've got refereeing decisions that might go against you. You've got the pressure of the crowd. You've got 80,000 people watching. You've got 10 million on TV. You know, it's unbelievably difficult for the players. Yeah, but I think it all comes back to that question, the why. If everybody understands why we're trying to do this, yeah. why when we have the ball, we flood numbers here or we, we use this. Yeah, there's two, there's, two, there's two parts to the why. One is the actual technical why we're doing this. So clarity of process. You know, Ireland, fantastic, you know, in the Six Nations. Um, and... The motivational why we're all going to work for this team. Why I'm going to give myself to this team, and I'm going to give more than 100 percent of my commitment. Um, uh, so, and if you can create that within your organisation, where the motivation and everyone's pulling in the same direction, number one, and two, the why. So we've got complete clarity in what we're trying to achieve. 
then you've got a recipe for success. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to speak to a bunch of leaders from around the world, um, from different sectors of society, some sports, some business, and, uh, and we'll see where it takes us. But are there specific questions that you're, you want to answer that you, you're particularly looking forward to asking these um, guys? Well, I think when we discussed it, you know, I think I, I was uncertain where this would go, but I think your, your advice really was that we should go with people who I know who I've worked with, who uh, or, or, or have a relationship with. So the conversation has a natural flow, and there's obviously um, a, not a history between us, but a relationship between us, which will help, obviously. Um, so I know um, um, some of the people that we will chat to. Um, I know a lot about them, and they know a lot about me. Um, but it's, it's not actually about me at all and, and our relationship it's about them and their philosophy on leadership so I think what we've got to get right is asking them the right questions which means that the people who are listening at home um, can come away thinking actually um, there's some tools some little nuggets I've picked up there which will help me become a better leader and I'm absolutely certain because I know obviously a couple of people we've got lined up already absolutely certain um, there'll be com- more than a few nuggets in the conversations one last question about this do you still feel like you can become a better leader? 100%. 100%. Um, you know, the, the goal for me would to be the best, the best I can be. Um, uh, um, and I don't think you'd ever stop learning. I think, you know, who are the best leaders, you know, are probably the most experienced. The, the people, who, you know, men and women who are in the sort of 50s and 60s, you know, I'm not quite there yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I've got a lot of, um, improvement to do and a lot of development. Um, Would your psychometric testing be different now? You know what, I actually did it not too long. Uh, um, um, a guy contacted me who, talking about leadership, funny enough, and he's got his own. And uh, I'd, I've actually done two recently, and uh, no, they pretty much tell the same story. Um, uh, but I think you know what the ultimate goal for me would be to keep coaching and you know working in sport, um, uh, but then ultimately. You know, try and pass on when I come to the end of coaching what I've learned as a leader to help other leaders get better. That's that's the real goal. That's what I enjoy enjoy doing. Um, I enjoy obviously coaching rugby, but um, I enjoy learning about leadership. And I think um, that was certainly that podcast in America. You know, wasn't the first one I've listened to, but uh, um, when I listen to other people talk, and there's one person who's been interviewed that we we will talk to, an American guy. Uh, he talks about communication and connection and how you connect teams together. Um, I thought this is brilliant. And if we could share any little nuggets like that, then I think it'll be worthwhile use of our time. Well, we're off to a great start. Uh, Leaders Questions with Stuart Lancaster. We'll be back next week and um, we'll send you, we'll post this with an email address as well that um, we can get some questions to. We might do a mailbag at the end of this for um, people's questions. Out yeah, there that'd that be great. Answer. Yeah, nice one. Good stuff. Not a bad first episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Leaders' Questions with Stuart Lancaster. Thanks to Cisco Systems at Exertis Ireland, providing a secure, intelligent platform for digital business. To hear more, visit intelligentit.ie.